everybody that's been meeting everybody through the podcast has had a pleasure to, I don't know, they tell, they tell me they feel like they have a much more intimate relationship with that person. And that's my goal. My goal is to kind of show that like, you don't have to be a superhero to rock climb. You just got to fucking get out and rock climb. Whether it's paddling, whether it's water, whether it's cycling, it doesn't really matter. Um, Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to Sense and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. And as always, I think you're rad. I think you're beautiful human beings. And I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Big announcement. We now have 30 members in the sticker club. You guys have been joining like an absolute fire. You can go to mariostanley.com. You can go to sensandsuffers.com. It's on our Instagram. It's on all the places, all the things on all the places that are on the internet. You can find it. Join five bucks a month. Let me send you some love letters, some cool stickers. And most importantly, you get to support something that you like. So if you're down, I'm down to have you be a part of the family please, please join. All right. Now that that's over with, let's talk about this episode because this episode is red. Let me tell you. So as some of you know, a couple months back, I had a chance to go to Moab, hooked up with a buddy called James Q, the man, Jeremy Collins, and then the rest of this Montley crew that you are about to be introduced to is just some of the coolest quality dirtbaggers you will ever meet, aka road life, van life, whatever you want to call it out there. But these people are out there getting after it, living their best life. And honestly, you should be vicariously living through them. Well, I'm not going to say very much more because I don't want to get all long-winded and drawn out and all this stuff. So I just want you guys to get into this episode. All right. Boom, boom, boom. Good learning. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Beautiful. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. And tonight, I normally say today, but tonight we are sitting under the beautiful stars in Moab. And I have had the privilege and the honor of climbing with a group of people who have shown me that I have absolutely no crack climbing skills whatsoever. And I'm doing my best to keep up. Uh, but I will let you guys introduce yourselves individually. All I want to know is, you know, your name, where you're from, and what is your connection to the outdoors, whether it's more than one or not. So let's go. Cool. Uh, my name is Daniel, and I live in St. George, Utah. And uh, my connection to the outdoors started through my job. I am an outdoor guide. I guide people on river trips. Nice. How long have you been doing that? Uh, going on eight years. Did you do anything before that? Just out of curiosity. Um, I mean, I grew up in a family that we would go camping and backpacking from time to time and stuff like that. So I definitely had some sort of outdoor experience. And then I've spent a lot of my life in Hawaii. So I've got a lot of time in the ocean. Fair enough. I yeah. slightly hate you, but it's moving yeah. on. No one wants to hear about your Hawaii life anymore. Uh, I'm Kira. I grew up in Maryland. But now I just live in my car and climb. Um, I feel like I grew up outside. My mom was a big proponent of playing outside. And even though I grew up in Maryland, we spent all our summers out West, um, lots of multi-day raft trips. So that's awesome. Nice. Uh, my name's Nelson, I guess third one in a row. I live out of my vehicle, um, from the Boston area originally, but been living on the road for the past five, five and a half years or so. Um, yeah, I guess I, you know, got brought up doing some camping and playing on the water, sailing more than surfing on my end, but, um, sort of got into white water and always mountain bikes were always my thing. But since I got my hands in a rock, it's sort of been a little bit of one track almost for the last few years. Dope. So would all of you classify yourselves as full-time dirtbaggers? Mm. Dirtbag's sort of loaded. I mean, <laughs> loaded term, you know? I mean, most people who are listening to this are not dirtbaggers. They are listening in the comfort of their car driving to and from work or maybe God knows whenever you listen to this podcast. I don't really want to know all the time, so I'm just happy you listen. But <laughs> I think my mom would call me a dirtbag. <laughs> 
That says a lot. Right? I, I, well, I mean, like you're saying, compared to the average population, yes, I would say I'm a full-time dirtbag. Okay. So compared to me like five years ago, right. like living out of like a trash little SUV, like I'm living in a van now. I got an oven. I got a queen-size bed. I feel like I've moved up in the world. I am living on the road, but less dirtbag. Okay, okay. I feel like I'm a dirtbag. Yeah, you're rocking it hard. That's what's up. <laughs> yes, definitely. Where am I? So I think this is something that a lot of people don't know. So let's talk about you guys' individual setups because you guys both know. I mean, and most of my guests know that I've lived in a van repeatedly and they've heard me talk about my setups. Uh, at least I think they have. But uh, I guess let's, I mean, so let's start with you because you live in Cadillac Large is what you're talking about here. Whoa, whoa, (laughs) whoa. We're pre-2007 over here, okay? (laughs) I live in a 2003 uh, Sprinter. So it's not one of these like fancy things. And I think my whole build out was probably as much as some people pay on like their kitchen setup. So, you know, it's all relative. But yeah, Big Mama's been good to me. So what in your setup, and this question applies to everybody, but what in your setup, like, I I don't know if you had this experience, but like as you're building out your van, and I know for me, like, until I got like some form of refrigeration in my van, like it wasn't like home. It wasn't like, like, this is like, oh, fuck, like this is the thing I had to have. And was there anything, because I find everybody's setup is very unique to them. Is there anything like that special to you and why? Mm. Yeah, no, refrigeration has not been the thing for me. I mostly, you know, vegetarian, a lot of dairy, so I don't really, you know, need that too much. But having privacy to just be able to pass out and like with I'm, when I'm really hitting a low or I'm exhausted, having space to just have privacy and rest was huge. That was like a game changer for me. Just having like a comfortable bed and a place to, with space to cook. Um that really that really made a big difference because like you know you live in an SUV you can you can block out the windows but like it's still there's very clearly somebody <laughs> chilling in an SUV <laughs> checks out turns out so that that was a game changer for me okay and security I've had my car cleaned out so having it uh, yes I live in my Honda Element um, it's not a van <laughs> but it works. Um, Sorry, what, what else were you asking? <laughs> uh, what makes, like, what part of your setup, I guess, is the most special to you? Because every, okay. I, I even said this to you earlier, like, I've seen Honda Elements built out so many different ways. And so I guess, like, what were you most excited about? Or, like, what makes your setup, like, really work for you? Yeah, I like, so I have a lot of storage space, which is big because I have all my gear for climbing and then kayaking and sometimes skiing. Um, so having lots of storage space. And just having a flat surface to sleep on is really nice. Um, but I think kind of, it's not a big thing, but I have a waffle maker. Ooh. I really like waffles. That is fucking dope. Um, you an inverter for that thing? It's a stovetop. Why didn't we know this oh. earlier? <laughs> we got the Kodiak. Um, <laughs> well, if you want waffles. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I really like waffles. And everyone told me that I shouldn't get a waffle maker because I would never use it. And that's false. I use it all the time oh that's awesome um so that's just a nice little thing to a lot of my systems are pretty bare bones like one day i'd like to live in a vehicle where i don't have to roll up my bed every day um and i like i don't have a cooler the summer is hard i probably should buy a cooler um put it no i don't know (laughs) i technically have a cooler it's a soft cooler the zipper's broken it's more of a storage space um no, yeah, so lots of bare bones systems that are kind of barely squeaking by. So having a waffle maker to just have something a little fun, a little fancy. Chris, really thing. Like. I've never heard that before. It's super dope. Um, for me, because I lived in an SUV for four or five years before I got to my current setup. I'm also in a 2003 Freightliner. Me and Nelson both rock in the former FedEx vans, which <laughs> you're not really living unless you're in a former FedEx van. Nice. But uh, I wanted something to stand up in. Like if I was going to change from one system that I was comfortable with to something new, I wanted somewhere that I could stand up on the inside. And then the other thing that's for me really special, I guess, is I like having a, a pretty good sized library at any given time. So like the last few days as we've all been hanging out by pure chance, we all showed up and a lot of us were reading stuff by the same author. 
and just having a book and something that I can give to people that I meet. Um, I, I quote books a lot. And so for me, that's something really cool is when I can give someone a book that's been inspirational for me in the last week or month or however long it is. And I just feel like someone else needs to experience it. So that's having a library is clutch for me. Dude, that's powerful. I uh, definitely have gifted more books to people than I probably have gifted anything else. And I think it's like, if you find someone who you think can really value a book, I think it says a lot too, because you're actually paying attention to this person. You're actually taking time and effort into them. And if they'll actually read the content that you give them, then it like goes a long way. I definitely agree with that. For sure. Now, um, you, I had asked you this earlier, but like your full-time occupation is a river guide. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So what is that entail? So the trips that I run, we are floating down the Grand Canyon. Uh, It's 277 miles that we cover and we do it in nine days and we do it on a, like a giant motorized floating raft. So it's a lot of, uh, showing people something that's super important to you, super special to you and hoping they get like 10% of what you appreciate out of it. And so, you know, it's, it's an interesting experience. It's a lot of people who don't have a lot of outdoor experience in their life, but, uh, are willing to step up and try something new. So it's a lot of people's, it's a, it's a, bucket list type thing where I've always wanted to do this, but I'm not comfortable doing it by myself. And so you get to provide that for them. And so, yeah. So is it just, it's basically everything. The person can just basically show up and ride the grand. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you show up, we do the cooking, we take you through all the rapids. We hopefully teach you a thing or two about everything. Why the river considering we've been climbing for the last like three days? Why the river? Yeah. Well, I mean, why is the river your thing? Because that's obviously more your thing than climbing. I mean, I guess it's it's a lot of just dumb luck for me where I just sort of stumbled into it as a job. I was looking for a little bit of uh, a stepping stone into getting, you know, a real adult career and moving on in that direction. And this was supposed to be like a one summer while I was figuring out what I wanted in life. And then I just can't leave it, man. It's just, there's something, something special about floating down the rivers and being disconnected from everything else and just finding river time. And I don't know, it's hard to leave. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so moving over to Kira, you are just full-time dirtbagger. You're not doing school, anything like that. So I guess like, what is your, like, are you working towards anything in particular? I think that's things like, I I know people have asked me before, but like, like, oh, you're a dirtbag or you're just like living out of your car, but like, what are you working towards? And is there anything that you are working towards? And I also think it's also very important for people to understand, like, there's also points in your life where you're not working towards anything. And that is actually working towards a lot, but I don't know you, I ain't you. So I don't know where you are. So where do you, where are you going? Yeah. Um, I just really like rock climbing and living in my car allows me to do that. And I have to climb in different places and try different styles of climbing. And I feel like right now I'm just excited about exploring climbing. Um, within the climbing world, there's a lot that I've done and a lot that I'm competent in, but there's still so much I haven't even begun to touch. So I think right now I see a lot of my growth within climbing. Um, and I think, I don't think that'll be my life forever, but I've, I'm not in a rush to get anywhere. And I think, I think something else will come along or I'll find something else that I'm passionate about. Um, and yeah, right now I went to school for a bit and found that I just really wanted to rock climb. So I dropped out and it's been a blast. (laughs) It was a great decision. I am going back to school um, soonish, but I'm just really thankful for all the days I have out in places like this and getting to climb until then. And then even after I go back to school, still uh, really excited about rock climbing. Good sir. Who, me? Yeah. Oh. I mean, you are here. I mean, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm supposed to say about some of my life or something? Yeah, I guess like, I mean, the, the question really is, it's like, you know, where are you going? You know, and, you know, to say it again, like, where are you going as a dirt? Like you're someone who's living in your van and most people, you know, at least I, I can, I'll speak for my parents, but I'm sure everyone's parents here at the same time. Like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to start, start actually doing other things of that? And I think the thing that people don't understand is like, you know, you can either make this work and you're working towards something mm. or there's nothing wrong with, I'm not working towards anything at all because that's where I need to be. And that's what I need to work towards because, you know, that's just who you are and where you are in life. And so the question mm. is really is like, are you going anywhere? And like, what are you trying to like really get to in your current state that you are in? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, well, on the parental front, it's, it's funny because after my first like year or so, just kind of being on the road, being a dirtbag, I, ex I came home to visit my folks and expected them to give me the like, all right, this is fun, but like, what's next? But they just, they could see how deeply contented I was and how, you know, even if I wasn't making money, um, I was challenging myself and learning and just having like really deep learning experiences on a pretty regular basis. And I was so just deeply grateful that when I shared that with them, they, they could see that and they just fully supported me. And, uh, you know, a few years have gone by of just like, just really trying to climb all the time. I'm a photographer as well, but not really professional about it. Um, but as I've started, I started, you know, trying to document my own travels and adventures to share with the people that I care about who aren't there. And I think I've learned more about how to find inspiration in the things that others are doing as well. And as I try and learn to be a storyteller, to use my privilege to try and elevate other people's stories that, that maybe deserve more attention than my own. So that's sort of where I'm working towards right now is combining my role in the outdoors and my role as a storyteller to have a positive effect on the world. Dude. Awesome. All right. So flipping gears, uh, we all have been rock climbing and struggling and at least I have been crying on the inside. I don't know about y'all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so name of this podcast is Sims and Suffers. So, uh, I will say the route today I suffered on far more than anything else. That's why I think, this guy over here, Daniel's a fucking hero because you made that thing look way easier. You were on top rope, so you're dead. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, you know, I would say for me personally, you know, I, I can blame it on a million different things. I was winded. I feel like I like, adjusting the altitude, but I was just honestly not truly ready for how physical that route was going to be. And the worst part about it is, is I feel like it wasn't as physical as I was making it because I wasn't using my technique is not refined. And I feel like I could have made it a little bit more comfortable yeah. but at the same time. What was the name of that thing? Overthruster. Overthruster. Over yeah, yeah. The thing was just, it was, it was nails fucking hard. It was nails fucking hard. I definitely, when I got over the second bulge, which you were talking about, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, I'm going to throw up right now. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just like, that's why I was like, you're a take. I was like, I'm just going to not puke. Q needed to move. So I was like, <laughs> I was like this is great. Yeah. This is my excuse. But I was definitely like in, in that absolute moment of like, I'm going to throw up. I feel like my hands are swelling. I think my gloves are too tight. I think my feet, uh, you know, I already know my shoes are small, blah, blah, blah. Everything hurts. But like in that exact moment, like right before, right before Q was just like, all right, I'm ready whenever you want to go. I like finally took a breath and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm happy. I'm like really happy right now. <laughs> like, I don't know why. And I know why, honestly. But like in that moment, you would think that most people, and I think that's the beauty of rock climbing. Like, like most people think like. I don't know. I think most climbers want it to be like pretty cush. They want it to be like going to rifle park. Hey. I'm happy. I'm, I'm trash talking on rifle. I do almost every episode. So. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they want to park. They want to like, you know, get 
put their little spiffy things on and then like just clip some bolts and be done or plug some gear and be done. Um, you know, whatever. And this place is just not that way. And, you know, I, uh, this is my first trip to Indian Creek, but it will definitely not be my last. But I think in that moment of pure, utter suffering, I found bliss and yeah, and fell a couple more times and then finally fucking finished the shit out. For sure. Uh, I guess. Yeah. So like, and it doesn't have to be anything that we climbed today or since I've been here, but like, I guess, is there a route that's kind of been like giving you guys that experience? Anyone and everybody, anyone, you can just jump in whenever you want. Just no like order. Um, yeah, I guess just cause it was one that we were talking about earlier comes to mind, but it's not something that I really, it's like you're saying, I was so out of my element. I was unprepared. There's a route out in, um, uh, Castle Valley, Fisher Towers area. It's, uh, a big pile of mud that's called Kingfisher and it's an aid route and I had never done any aid climbing and it was on my list just because it's such a beautiful position and I had wandered around and found the line and was just really inspired by it but I had never done any aid climbing and apparently the Fishers is the worst place to learn to aid climb because everything is super old super rusty and it's just mud that's falling apart but it's really, really beautiful. So I decided I was going to go do this and I rounded a buddy up who had also never done any aid climbing and I told him I would lead everything. And I just remember being scared to death, like hanging from these 50-year-old bolts that were rusted through and like spinning in piles of mud and just thinking like, what am I doing? Why am I here? And at one point he asked me to hurry up because he was getting uncomfortable in his harness and I got angry i was like oh hell no i'm the one on the sharp end here like falling on this scary stuff you just sit down there and shut up and let me climb but then once we got to the top it was just like the most surreal position and beautiful beautiful place to be and yeah you get up there and you forget about all the suffering it's just that mental place that it puts you in where you get to drown out everything else in your life and just focus on only one thing and nothing else can even come into your mind because you're so focused. That's the beauty of it for me is just like finding it's almost like Zen or something where you just are just so zoomed in on one particular task that you forget about any other issue you might have in your life. So question for you, do you find the same thing on the river? Um, or is it at different? times, um, probably not so much while I'm working just because it's so let's, let's much, take, it's much more comfortable. Just like you, you and the river. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the river is really interesting because you know, when you're climbing really strong or you're feeling really good, you get into that flow state, right? Well, in the river, that's, that's all it is. You know, it's the river flows. That's what you do. And so you are trying to tap into another flow state. And when you connect into that, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So you definitely forget about everything else when you're in that type of headspace, I think. It's dope. Yeah. You got some? I think talking about rivers, um, I also do a good bit of kayaking. And something I see both with climbing and kayaking is it's a lot of training for like resilience of you can get beat down, but that's like, I'll be out here, especially with trad climbing. Trad climbing for me is a huge mental game, like sport climbing, super fun, but it's, it's a lot more physical. Whereas trad climbing for me right now is it's so, it's such a head game. Um, and I'll be up on a route, you know, building a nest of gear because <laughs> I'm scared. And even when you're like, this is horrible, I'm so scared as soon as I'm back on the ground, it's like, okay, what can I, what can I do better? How can I learn from this? How can I improve and constantly, um, constantly trying to learn and not even trying constantly learning. Um, and I think even just this past, well, I've been here a few weeks now, but especially this past week, um, Yesterday, I fell on gear for the first time in like a year and um, it held, which was <laughs> kind of a shock to me. <laughs> but, 
and that's uh I mean that's huge and I think starting to climb above gear is something I'm really excited about and um but yeah being focused and being so mentally and physically just completely involved in what you're doing so is there I find this is like in my years of coaching I find that everyone I guess for the lack of a better term demon that they deal with with head game is different you know and you know mine is completely utterly ego based like it's just like I've been climbing long enough I should be able to climb this route I should be able to do this if I don't go into a situation where it's like and I that's why I like I like coming here I'm like I'm not here to send I'm here to learn I have to constantly tell myself that you guys have even heard me say that out loud. And it's because I have to say that because if not like my ego gets in the way and I'm like, I should be able to fucking climb this thing. Like I've climbed 5.11 trad. I've climbed 5.12 trad. Like I've done this before, but this place is so different. And my demon personally is my ego. And I have to like really put that to bay a lot because uh, I mean, if you guys, if, I know we will all climb together more soon. But you guys will definitely see that at a point where like I'll walk up to a route and I literally will just like walk off, put, take my shoes off. I'll have to start over because I, I realize like I haven't dealt with that conversation that I need to have in my head. Because if not, it will like be this weird whisper in the back of my head while I'm climbing, regardless of whatever the style is. Uh, and that's like kind of what holds me down. So I'm curious, like, do you know what your head game demon is? I think it's mostly just fear. Um, but like what sparks it? Is it is it the falling on gear? Is it the moves? Is it the route itself? Yeah, I think hmm, that's interesting. It's yeah, the fear of falling, the fear of the consequences, which I mean, usually aren't really much at all. Um, the, I guess just maybe the not knowing what's going to happen. Like when I fall in bolts, I'm like fairly confident the bolts can hold. And even that, like depending where I'm at, my lead head game for sport can kind of come and go as well. But, um, I think I always go worst case scenario. So I'm like, if I'm going to fall on a piece, I'm like, what if it blows? What if the next one blows? What if the one after that blows? What if I hit the deck? And that's not super likely, but kind of that worst case scenario is always running in the back of my head. Uh, we always have a saying in guiding where clients will clients will ask me they're like you know I clip one anchor and like I'm, they're like what if it blows I'm like well that's why you clip two and they're like well what if both of them blow well God Jesus is calling you home like if every piece of zippers on out I mean it's, it's your, your day. time yeah <laughs> There's nothing else to say about it. Uh, it's got uh, all right, Nelson. For demons? Yeah, man. Like, 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 uh, I guess. Well, no, not so much demons because we're backing up, like, but like, I mean, you've been going a fucking you've been going ham since I basically <laughs> met you. So it's been like one twelve after another, and we had this beautiful conversation about like training and understanding like you know, how you have switched up your own thing from mileage. And now you're like, you know, I feel like I, you even said, like, I feel like I'm just getting just as much climbing in and climbing less. So like, I guess what is, is there a particular route or is it a particular grade or like, what are you really like working towards? Like, what is your, is there a route that like you're suffering on and like, you're really psyched to get on and like, what's that whole experience for you? Well, it's funny. Cause yeah, this is the first season where I've actually felt like, I'm starting to belong, like stepping up to 512. That's not been the case. Um, but I'm really happy that Daniel was there for it. But there's actually one route that kind of brought it full circle for me, like basically this week. Um, when I started climbing, I between luck and privilege or whatever, um, I wasn't really taught to like be scared. My buddy just sort of threw me into it. He's like, here, you don't do this. You don't die. You do this. You're safe go have fun here's the sharp end first day um which was a good way for me to just get into it and not learn to be scared um and basically within a month i on-sighted my first 511 on gear here um so i kind of just dove right in 
Um, and from the start, it was like, that's beautiful. I want to do that. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, let's go. Um, so at the end of that, my first, like, you know, few weeks here learning, I just fell in love with the look of this route. It was just gorgeous. Starts with this twin cracks and ends with this monster wide hands roof. And, uh, you know, I think usually when you start climbing within your first month, you're not trying to on-site 511 plus on gear. Um, but I was just like, I just, that's what I want in my life right now. And I just got absolutely smacked down. It was wonderful. I mean, I, well, I kind of almost got hurt, but like it just absolutely got taken down. And it was, I just think about, I would think about it every year and uh, always wanted to go back for that route. And this year was finally the year when I was like, yeah, I, I can do this. Let's go. Um, and I, and I, you know, got the route first try this year and it was just the most spectacular feeling. Um, but it was sort of been this process of like learning to be scared the past few years, learning to be safe. Like every time I've stepped up to a new like tier of scale in my objectives, it's often been a company, like my first real multi-pitch uh, of an experienced climber died on the route a week or two after I was on it. Uh, my first international climbing trip, I helped carry out five or six people with severe injuries for helicopter evacuations. So like every time I try and step it up, there's been this like, oh, well, here's how you die doing this. And so it's always been like, oh, but like, what's the rational fear? What's the irrational fear? How far do I want to push it? How far should I push it? So it's always been this give and take of how scared I should be, if it's rational, if I'm safe, you know, a lot of dialogue about that stuff internally. Um, so basically, like, I feel like I'm just coming back around to like, no, no, I do belong here. I do have the skills to take it to something that's like really at my limit and uh, just picking some more ambitious goals this year has been like a really refreshing and empowering take on something that that's how I fell in love with it to begin with. So feels good. And so it's cool because like <clears throat> the reoccurring theme here is, and I think uh, all of us are saying this in a different way, but <sighs> I don't want to use the phrase like managing fear because I don't think that's like really what we're doing. I think what we're doing and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong when I say this, but like, I don't even think we're like we're flirting with it, but we're like learning how to like look it in the eye and determine whether it's gaslighting us or not. And I think like, I, I, and I say that for me, cause like, like I knew I could, I knew I could do the route. I knew there was no way I could do it like in one clean burn, but I was like everything in my mind, I was like, I can do this route. But I was scared enough to land <clears throat> on that second bolt and that last bolt today. Cause I was like, I want to walk out of here. I do not want to limp, but it's just like you, for me, I have that huge conversation. And I think that's, I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of like resounding within the group. And it's like, I don't know. Do you like Kara, do you feel like you are trying to, like look fear in the face and kind of like determine whether it's, you know, gaslighting you or not, or is it really just like something of like, um, like is it more, is it more something like you're trying to manage because it's like overwhelming? I'm just, you were right in front of me. There's no yeah. reason. Um, I remember kayaking back into it because kayaking scares me the most. Like kayaking is so scary. It's horrifying. Cause that you screw up, there's no air. Um, but you also, you can't hesitate. As, like I can be completely freaking out above a rapid, but I look at my line, like, okay, I know what I have to do. And then as soon as you drop in, you can't stop. You're either hitting your line or you're reacting to whatever happens. Like there's no time to stop and be like, wait, what's going on here? Is this hole that I'm dropping into? Like what's going to happen? How scared should I be? You just have to do it. Um, whereas climbing, part of what I love and I think part of what makes it harder to face the fear is that you can stop you can place a piece and you can take, and then you can place three more pieces and think about what you're going to do and like look around and look for more feet and whatever you're going to do. There's time. And even if you're above a piece, you usually have a second to like hang on. Um, and I think that might be part of it, like the overthinking it, you know, cause you can look at it rationally and be like, I'm above my piece, but I'm going to fall and it's going to be fine. 
But I think a big part of it for me is if you're not forced into it, if you can stop and if you feel like there's something you can do, I always want to do that extra thing and take that extra precaution, even if it's not really necessary. Do uh, you ever feel like taking that extra precaution or anything else like slows you down or like you ever gets in your way? I only say that because I know myself and like I'm not condoning this behavior in any way, shape or form. But you guys have all watched me climb like I charge like I really charge at a route because I'm like, OK, I'm very confident in like how much moves I can make. I'm very confident in like what I can do. And I know and I generally like try to choose my rest point. So like I have to just like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. OK, full throttle, like <clears throat> go. And that's just works for me. And I just I'm curious, like, do you ever feel like that gets in your way? Oh, absolutely. Because even sport climbing, you clip a bolt and you can't really do anything until you clip the next bolt. Whereas climbing cracks, especially here where it's just continuous cracks, you can almost always place gear. And I fuck myself over all the time. I get nervous. I start to sew it up. And then all of a sudden you've used all of your handholds and footholds and there's all this gear in your way. And like yesterday on that climb, I, um, I Did placed a piece. Yeah. I placed it. Well, I placed like way more pieces than I needed. And then finally I like was, um, fumbling trying to clip one. And then I ultimately fell with a piece above me that wasn't clipped. And I think I probably could have not placed that piece, done two more moves and gotten to a good stance. And it, like what you fall on extra foot, like it, um, no, yeah, I think it's, I think that's something I really want to work on is being confident in gear, falling on gear and, just because you can place more gear doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Golden rule. <laughs> People yell at me all the time. They're like, you should place more gear. I'm like, you should shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's just my attitude. Yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, like I said, I, I don't move, 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 move until I feel tension and then plug. Daniel? about gear no i mean i guess like you know like managing what's like managing all that shit that's in your head like you know you talked about it earlier like when you're climbing that beautiful pile of shit mud yeah and i guess like do you is there anything in particular that you find yourself having to manage more often on the wall is it fear or is it more just kind of like i think for me it's more self-doubt like you're talking about how you have to manage your ego because it's like, oh, I know I can do this grade. And, you know, everything's different. Like styles mm -hmm. are different. Routes aren't all the same, obviously. For me, it's the opposite. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be able to do this grade. I look at myself and see my limits more than I see my potential, I think, sometimes. Okay. So, like, recently, I'm, I, I've never done a whole lot of bouldering, but I've been doing more in the last... I've done more bouldering in the last few months with COVID and stuff, just trying to limit my interactions and all of this. So I've been just at these sort of obscure places and I had never done a V4 in my life. And one day I did a V4 and a V5 and a V6. And it was just like, I was in a headspace where I wasn't questioning my abilities. I was just ready to go. And I don't get there very often. Most of the time, if I'm on, you know, a 5.11 trad route, I say, oh, this should be hard for me. And then it becomes hard for me. Whereas if I don't know what the grade is, a lot of times I'll get down and say, oh yeah, that felt all right. And it's like, oh yeah, that was 5.11 and it wasn't hard. So I think I'm almost the opposite as you. It's like, I'm better off not knowing what I'm getting myself into because then I don't put limits on myself. You're going to make a great adventure climber. Just get on the wall and just go. <laughs> I think that's like, for me, the most like powerful and insightful thing about climbing is that it just puts you right in touch with all of those internal struggles with your ego that we yeah. all go through, whether or not we're cognizant of that or not. Um, to, I mean, to segue into your question, like, yeah. Um, with that first international climbing trip I took when things got real and I saw people, you know, I've never seen a compound fracture before and like, Hey, <laughs> um, you know, it was like, Oh wow, this is, this is real. I can see what the consequences of failure are. Um, so I, that was when I first learned to like tease out, like there's rational fear, which is like, 
if you mess up right now, you can die. Like that's, you should be afraid. That's very rational versus irrational fear is as how I described it to myself, which is like, that's the stuff where you're just entering that space of discomfort, of self-doubt, of, you know, of, of fear that's of your own making. Like you could take the whipper and you, there's nothing to hit. You're going to be fine, but it's terrifying. Yeah. And when you know that, like, you look down, it's like, well, there's nothing to hit. My gear's good. My belayer's got me. I'm safe. I'm just gripped. That's when you know this is, this is, this is on you. This is, you get to write the, write the next page. You get to write the next paragraph. Like whatever happens is on you. And so whether it's doubt or overconfidence, like that's exactly the kind of wrestling that it's like, it's all in your head. And that's, that's why I think climbing is such a beautiful thing because it puts you right in touch with those questions of like who you actually are versus who you think you are. Yeah, dude, that's powerful. I definitely agree. Like that is one thing I do like about climbing the most. It's like, it's all you. There's no one else. I mean, regardless whether you're bouldering, sport climbing, whatever climbing you're doing, but like when you're on the sharp end, you know, you have a support crew down at the bottom at the end of the end of the rope. But other than that, I mean, the show is on yeah. and it's definitely, yeah. Um, I'd like to, if you don't mind, I'd like to touch on a top, uh, a, a, a phrase that you've kind of brought up quite a bit. Uh, and you talk about like having the privilege to be where you are, the privilege to do that. And I don't know. And everyone's, like, you know, if you've heard the phrase, check your privilege, you know, everyone comes from a different background, you know, like mine as a military brat, um, you know, I'm used to growing up in multicultural spaces. So I even get, I have like, you know, African-American people say to me, like, check your privilege, kind of like uh, the way I navigate spaces and the way I navigate different things. And so I'm just curious why you have used that phrase. Cause you, you've said it at least like two or three times so far. It's something that I think about a lot. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to the dirtbag life, it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, poor because I don't have a lot of money, but like I had the privilege to choose to be poor, um, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of funny. Um, no, that's powerful. But like realistically, like the reason I could be a dirtbag is because I got put through college. And basically all my friends graduated college up to their eyeballs in debt. And they didn't have the choice to like go be a bum out in the desert. They had to go to work so they could pay off their debt. So like that's like the most literal manifestation of my privilege. Like I could just choose to have nothing, you know, have like the clothes on my back and like the gear in my pack. It's so funny. You would say that's privilege and I would say that's freedom. I'd say that's privilege is, is it's, freedom it's in America. It, it, liberation. Like you're liberating yourself from that situation and you're liberating yourself from quote unquote what all of us have friends that are digging out of that hole now and doing so. It's probably just the most obvious example of lots of ways that I'm privileged. Was it hard for you to like, just like, what am I, why am I even asking you this question? Why is it hard for you to walk away from school? You're like, fuck no, I want to go rock. <laughs> <laughs> but does it ever bug you? Yeah. Um, I think it was hard to walk because I've, even before that, like I haven't really followed like a super traditional path, but it's still, there's this huge pressure to getting a college degree is a really big thing. And I do think it's super important. And I think it opens a lot of doors and walking away from school. And I mean, I was able to, I didn't like straight up drop out. I was able to like take an extended leave of absence at first. Um, but everyone's telling you not to. And I think it's also the way that the college system is set up. You know, you have like advisors and whatever, but their job is to keep you in school. Yeah. Well, they make money off of you. Exactly. And so you're talking to people and you're like, I, I don't know if the school is a good place for me. Like, I think I might leave. And they're like, well, like, but I was I, in high school. I, um, I did a semester long experiential program in high school and I, I dropped out of this program that I was in back home and the woman who ran it told me I was throwing my life away and I was like 16 going to like an awesome accredited school where we also got to go backpacking and I, I think sometimes people in positions of of leadership um get so focused on their goals they kind of forget about what's good for the people they're supposed to be 
mentoring or teaching or helping. And so it's hard to, when there's so many different sources telling you what you should be doing, I don't know, it's hard to do what you know you actually should be doing when people are telling you it's a mistake and that you're giving up opportunities. And I think I did give up opportunities, but got a lot of good ones too. It's funny what you said reminds me of um, like when we're trying to teach kids how to do like moves or heel hooks or slides or different things in the gym. And, you know, your job as a coach is not to tell the kid how to do the move. Your job as a kid is to like instruct them on how to, for them to discover how to do the move, how for them to make it be their own experience, make it be their own discovery, because then it sticks. And that's, that's what makes it super sticky. And, you know, it's funny you say that because that kind of infuriates me because like, to me, it sounds like your counselors are, you know, whatever. And, and if anyone's listening to this, who is a counselor in a college or in a school, and if you're actually listening to this, it probably means you're not an asshole. So, uh, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I feel like people try to, if it doesn't fit their mold, they think it's wrong. And I think that's just so much with, it's, it's really ironic to me because the American spirit is like, you know, go West, do whatever you want to do, figure it out, make it happen. But you need to have four years of college, $200,000 worth of debt. Like you, you've got to do these things first, but like it counter, it's so counterintuitive to what everything that we have been probably, at least in my experience, everything that I've been taught that's patriotic is like, it's completely counterintuitive to it. And like, I don't think that's what you need. I don't, I, I think that me personally, I think you're doing it right. So Thanks. I drink to that. Cheers to that. Right on. Um, so I, always like to have a, an opportunity on this show for my guests to give like a little shout out, a little call out to anybody that they want, anybody that you want to support, anything that's important to you. And I kind of like to open up the floor to that. Also, this is also a time where, you know, if there's a PSA that you want to put out there, like it really is. The point of this is, and, and I know everyone, I can personally say everyone that I have talked to that listens to this show uh, they listen to it for a few reasons. One, um, you know, cause I'm fucking rad and they know that Two, Uh, I really care more about the community and I really care about more what's like on you guys' mind because I, I don't think, okay. So the girl that was watching Nelson, you climb today was like so enthralled that you were climbing a 12. So enthralled. Yeah, I think she was slightly crushing on you a little bit. But we'll, Just we'll a little bit. <laughs> she, was definitely, she, she definitely had rock climber a fever. But, you know, but I think the cool thing about, like, the overall climbing community is that, like, we're not that different. Like, none of us is different. And, and you know, if you guys have heard me, if you guys have been listening to the show, you've heard me say this before. But everyone sitting in this Bojanky campsite slash barn <laughs> slash whatever, wherever it's, we it's are. Nice, man. Which cute. Oh. You're fabulous. Thanks for hooking it up. <laughs> Love you. Uh, but like, you know, every one of these people have, are probably people who have been standing behind you in the DMV line. And you would never know that they're climbing some of the most righteous shit in the entire world. And I think that's the coolest part of climbing. And so... I think with that being said, we tend to overlook that everyone's story, everything, everyone's story, everything that matters to each individual person sitting in this circle, like it matters to the climbing community as a whole. And it matters to the adventure and the outdoor community as a whole. And we're all a lot closer and we're all a lot more similar than we are different. And I personally think that's just something that gets overlooked in the mundaneness of like doing life, doing jobs, doing whatever you do. Uh, so I would like to just kind of open up the floor. Uh, there's no time limit, no nothing. You guys can just kind of go. But if there's anybody you want to give a shout out to or anything you want to say or, you know, or tell people to get off your fucking routes, you can tell them that too. I mean, you know, it's a whole other story. 
I've got a shout out I would love to give. Um, I've got a buddy who he's one of the strongest climbers I've ever met. But more than that, I think the reason I want to give him a shout out is because he's a guy who taught me to just be true to myself, be honest with who I am, be comfortable in my own skin. And I think that's a hard thing that everyone has to learn. And he was a big mentor for me in that way. His name's Corey. And Corey is, like I said, he's one of the strongest climbers I've ever known in my life. And I had the good privilege to be able to climb with him for a couple of years before he had a really, really bad ground fall. And, uh, broke his back and has been in terrible pain for the last two years. And it, you know, when something like that happens, you change your priorities. That's a given. Um, and you're talking about everyone has their things that they're passionate about. Every single person has things that make them special and that they get excited about. And Corey is a unique person because he took that challenge. He was in a terrible position and still in a lot of ways is in an unenviable position, you know, just having to deal with a lot of things. But he's found new passions and new things that um, that he gets excited about, you know, like he's, I've never seen anyone so excited about gardening in my life. And Corey is the best gardener I've ever seen in my life. And it makes me want to have a garden, you know, like that's just the type of guy he is. But the reason I want to give him a shout out is because just a couple days ago, he got his spinal cord stimulator finally put in after a few years of pain. And he said he hasn't stopped smiling in days. And that just makes me happy to hear that. I'm really, really happy for him right now. So that's that's a person that I would love to say that I love him. And I'm just so happy for him. And I'm happy to know him. I got something I could say. It's not really a shout out. It's just something that's been... I kind of knew it, but I've been learning how to know it in a in a much more profound way recently. Um, I know it's really easy for us to all like categorize like... You know, somebody's like value as a climber just by the number. Like it's just, just seems like the grade that they climb. That's just their value as a climber in the community. And I can't stand that shit. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like I still want to know it's like, oh, but do they climb hard? You know, it's like, I got to talk myself out of even like asking that question. Um, but I had an experience last week, last weekend and, uh, I mean, I already knew some of this stuff, like I said, but I had the opportunity to, um, to climb some off with, with a bunch of really incredible people. Um, I won't say too much about that, except that little by little, I came to realize that some of the people who are there just strictly to just get thrashed on wide cracks were overcoming just some really incredible things just to be there. And, um, it's just sort of helped me realize the value of the thought process of like realizing that I just really don't know what people are going through when they're in that place, you know, just to be in the place that they love, like at the crag, at the gym, like whatever out there, you know, back, it doesn't matter what they're doing, but just being where you love, like it's really easy to see like, Oh man, this person's a Gumby or like, man, they don't know what they're doing, but it's like, you have no clue what they might be overcoming to come there and be a Gumby. And you know, you don't like that could be so unimportant to them. Like that they're getting their ass kicked on a five, seven. The fact that like, you know, I got to climb with somebody that was blind. I got to climb with somebody that only had partial use of their legs and they were getting up off with. And I got to climb with a couple folks, young women who were overcoming just utterly profound personal loss in their lives and the grief they were dealing with. And to know that like coming in there, I just saw everybody as like, all right, equals like, Oh, you got up the crack. You didn't get up the crack. Like, you know, simple, very simple, superficial thinking. And then I realized little by little what actually people were overcoming just to be there. And the entire frame of reference for who these people were, and how tough they actually were, just completely reoriented. And I just felt absolutely humble to be there 
fully able-bodied, fully privileged, and watching these people overcome mountains just to get thrashed. And just, you know, just a reminder when you get there and you think you're hot shit or you think you're a piece of shit, like it doesn't matter. Just go through that thought process of wondering what might these other people be going through just to be here. And I promise you that will give you a whole new appreciation for being there with those people. Oh yeah. I've had the privilege to work with a couple of paraclimbers over the last couple of years. And, you know, I'm well aware that they don't want to be, be considered superheroes. They want to be considered just as every other climber out there in the world. And, you know, the rest of us, uh, quote unquote, able-bodied, um, look at them as superheroes and look at that. But I do think you're like whole, you're so right. Like, it's not about looking at these people like they're superheroes. It's about putting everything in perspective and just realizing like these, these are people who are just overcoming shit that I have not even begun to dabble in, in my life, you know, and I'll, I'll overcome my own thing, maybe equivalent, maybe not when it gets to that time, but just having reverence for someone else who has really stepped up to the plate is so, so, so powerful. It's beyond respect. It's completely, utterly beyond respect. It's like, I don't know, the way I, the only way I can think about it and describe it to me is like, you deserve to be here far more than I do. Like, like this, this space was made for you. This space was made for you to be here, whether it's in the gym or in the crag, whatever. But like, like I have, I am here to facilitate. I am here to help you and do this but yeah dude i know that feeling very much and it's 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 surreal it's really surreal yeah it's like the whole the whole ground that i'm walking on that my ego is made for me is just it's just nonsense you know <laughs> when i realize what the actual stakes are what some people would do just to be a nobody at the crag it's real Anything? No? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to first and foremost thank all my guests for being here, even though you guys were stuck with me anyway, and I fed you anyway, so I don't give a shit. But I personally want to say that, like, this weekend, there was a lot of things that came in the way, minus COVID, that's the obvious, but <clears throat> there was a lot of things that came in the way for all the players and all the you know original people that were supposed to be here. But I'm a firm believer of, you know, you are where you were meant to be in the moment that you are meant to be in. And I have thoroughly, 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 thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you three, getting to be with you three and getting to send and suffer on the wall with you three. So it is an absolute joy. And I don't think people take enough joy in the relationships, how, whether they're like, you know, whether they're like the passing winds coming in or they're like a tree that's here forever. But, um, I want to thank you guys for, you know, allowing me to climb with you and allowing me to be in your space and just really bond with you guys. Cause I mean, you guys got me psyched on the Creek. Don't get me wrong. Creek is an amazing place. I've always known it's amazing, but I've always just going to be like, you just, the child's pile like, don't work. Don't come. <laughs> <laughs> I've always felt like you just have to like, you just like climb in the Creek long enough. You'll get all your skills. And that's not the case here. This place is this, you can you can learn a lot here and you can be humbled a lot here and i'm very 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 privileged to know that i have had the opportunity to learn with you three guys and i've learned a lot so thanks for being amazing climbers and guests and uh guests on my podcast so yeah thanks for the stoke all week 
And for giving great boys. Everyone gets <laughs> yes. great boys. It's fire so much As y'all heard, your boy here is the greatest belayer in the world. You know, you know, I'm just shining when I do my thing to color coordinate when I got you on the belay too. But we ain't gonna talk about that for right now. What I do want to say is I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It's a pleasure to meet rad people at the crag. And I've always been blessed to run into some really cool people at the crag. And I know that's not always the case for everyone, but there are great people out there and everyone's got an amazing story. These people are no different than the people standing behind you in the DMV line. And everybody's got to go at some point in time. So get out there, keep sending, keep killing the game. And remember, if you're not suffering, you're not sending at all.